Good morning. What a great looking group. Thank you for coming to Central Outdoors. I love doing outdoor services on these holiday weekends. Be ready. Labor Day, we're going to do it again. Although Labor Day, we'll have food trucks. So today, your food is free. Hot dogs and chips and ice cream. On Labor Day, it won't be free, but we'll have food trucks. So that'll be fun. And we're thankful. It's just fun to be outside. You know, we invited all of our neighbors on both streets all the way down and the closest ones we gave, because they have to endure the noise, we gave them a gift certificate to, to Dairy Queen because noise, ice cream makes everything better. And so, so we, we said, hey, we may be a little noisy, but, but here's some ice cream. So that's we're thankful. And if you're one of our neighbors, thanks for coming. We're glad that you are here. Um, well, I didn't know if I was going to tell you this, but I think I will. If you look over there, if you do, like, can you keep a secret? Don't tell anyone else. This is just between you and me. I want you to look over. Pastor Janet prayed that this is holy ground. We really believe it is. And over there is our ball field. And, and we've been talking and dreaming about what that might become other than a place that's used just for playing softball, you know, for a couple hours a week. And, and we're praying about that and seeing where God might lead. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe you'll see like a playscape and a pavilion and a dog park and a community garden and things like that. And so we're calling, you want to know what I'm calling it? I'm calling it Central Park. So we may have Central Park in, in Flint Township. Anyway, all right, that's enough of that. Um, we're glad you're here. We are working our way all summer long from, from Memorial Day to Labor Day in the Book of Romans. We're using this journal. It's just the Book of Romans. It, Romans, the scripture on one side, blank on the other side. A lot of you have get, taken it. We've given out over, over 850 or so. We're, there's only 21 left. They're over, if you don't have one, they're over there by the food. And so pick up one. They're free. Just grab one. And that's where we're working our way through all summer long. We are up to chapter 6, which is on page 26 of the journal. That's where we're at today, Romans chapter 6. And to give you a Reader's Digest version, if you haven't been here through Romans 1 through 5, let me tell you quickly what happens. Paul, the apostle, is on his third missionary journey, and he's wanting to go to Rome, but he has to go to Jerusalem to help some of the poor. He's got an offering that he's taking to the believers in Jerusalem. He really, really wants to go to them because they're brand new believers. And remember, they, are, they don't have the Bible like we have. Paul's writing this word to them, right? And so maybe they have the Gospel of Mark. They probably don't have any access to it. So they're only going from the word of mouth stories of what they've heard about Jesus. And so he royally longs to be with them. And, and he wants to help them because, again, to this group, there's, there's probably slaves, former slaves. There are, are, are Jews and Gentiles, probably not very many wealthy people. Just a small gathering of people. And again, imagine trying to be a Christian without having the Bible, the New Testament, for you to read and study. No Sunday school class, no trained clergy, nothing like that. And so Paul is writing them and giving them the theology because he knows that without training, without, without uh, uh, God's instruction to them, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to, to lose sight. It's easy to get... Uh, a bogged down even bad theology or things like that. So he's writing this book, this letter. And the first three chapters, he's telling them, listen, we're in trouble. We are all in trouble. Jews are in trouble. Gentiles are in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. We're all in the same boat. The boat is sinking. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. We are in trouble. The good news comes in Romans chapter 4. He talks about a guy named Abraham way back from the Old Testament. 
He says Abraham was, was made righteous. Abraham was justified, not because of his works. He didn't do anything. He had been a pagan living in a place called Ur. He didn't do anything, but he was made righteous. He was credited righteousness and justice because it was counted to him as righteous because of his faith. He said, you can have that same faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in God Almighty. You can have that same exact faith just like Abraham. And then in chapter 5 last week, we, said, we, we, we looked at it, he said, now here's the good news. Not only can you have faith in God Almighty, but the good news, listen to what the good news is. If you have your, your journal with on page 24, let me just, this is just review from last week, but it's such good news, we have to read it again. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Isn't that what we want? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we've also obtained access by faith and into this grace in which we stand. We can rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. He said, we have peace, we have faith, we've experienced hope. All the things our world desperately needs. And then verse 3, I love verse 3 of chapter 5. He says, not only that, all that good news. Not only that, listen to this. But we rejoice, we don't grumble, we don't complain. It's kind of like the song we just sang, I'll sing a hallelujah. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope puts us not to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. That is good news. Not only that, we get Jesus. And so then he goes on in the rest of chapter 5 and he talks about the difference between Adam in us, Adam-likeness that leads to sin and destruction, or Christ in us, Christ-likeness that brings wholeness and peace and wellness and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all of those things, wonderful, wonderful. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. No longer, what we just sang, no longer a slave to sin. Now we have been set free on this 4th of July. We're talking about independence. We can be free in Christ. Hallelujah. And then we get to chapter 6. Okay, all that's been reviewed. Now we're at page 26 in the journal. Chapter 26, or chapter 6. And Paul begins by saying this. What then shall we say? Ask a question. What then shall we say? What's the outcome of being justified by faith? What's the outcome of having the joy and the peace and the grace of Jesus in our life? What then shall we say is the big question. And he, and he asks a rhetorical question. It's a stupid question. It's, it is so crazy. You think, Paul, what in the world are you, why are you even asking that such a dumb question? He says this, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Do we just keep on sinning? Jesus has done a great work in our life. We experience the grace and the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the joy of serving him and Christ in us. So does that mean we just keep on acting the way we used to act? We just keep on behaving the way we used to behave? We keep on being self-centered and selfish and jumping into the slimy pit that we've been in? Is that what we keep on doing? And the Greek word he uses here, here I'm teaching you a Greek word. The Greek word he uses is the strongest condemnation that he could possibly give. The Greek word is meganoita. Meganoita, Paul says. Are you kidding me? That's the Rob Prince translation. Are you kidding me? Meganoita. The the English Standard Version, what the journal is, it says, by no means. King James Version says, God forbid. The Living Translation says, of course not. 
The, the New American Standard Version says, may it never be. I think I like the Phillips translation. I like my translation better. You know, are you kidding me? The Phillips translation says, what a ghastly thought. <laughs> I just... Jesus didn't save us to keep on sinning. He didn't set us free so we jump back into the same old garbage that we've been in. He didn't make us a whole so that we can, 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 can turn back to some of those things that dragged us down before. Are you kidding me, Paul says? Absolutely not. And then he ties this in where he's going to go in chapter 6. He ties this in with baptism. Re remember, these believers, brand new, right? They don't have a Bible like you and I have. They've only heard about Jesus through word of mouth. They've experienced the power of Jesus in their life. And they were baptized. Baptized was a really big deal. I think sometimes we lessen the importance of baptism. It's a really, really big deal. Jesus tells us to be baptized. It's a really, really big deal. And remember, remember um, on the day of Pentecost? Can you imagine that day, right? 3,000, they hear Peter's sermon. 3,000 give their life to Christ. And the Bible says in, in Acts chapter, chapter 2, says this. Then they received the word and were baptized. And there were added to them about 3,000 souls. So imagine that. I don't know where they were baptized. Maybe the River Jordan, right? So 3,000 people. Take our crowd, multiply it by six or seven, and we're all marching down to the River Jordan. We don't have, you know, we give, when we baptize people, we give them a t-shirt. I don't know what it, what's it say? Like, made new. Or, you know, followers of you, whatever. You know, and it has a big water drip on it. And they didn't get t-shirts. They didn't get a certificate. They didn't get anything. They walked down to the river at 3,000 of them. And I don't know how many people were baptizing them, you know. 3,000. It was awesome. That's all these people in Rome had. They, they experienced it. Remember in Romans, or in, in Acts chapter 8, that's when Philip is going from, from Jerusalem to Gaza, and, and he comes across this Ethiopian guy who's reading from the book of Isaiah. And he doesn't understand what he's, in the world he's reading, and the, the, the Reader's Digest version of that is, Philip hops up into his chariot, explains to him what you're reading about is Jesus, and the guy, the guy becomes a follower of Jesus right there on the spot. And then he says this, as they travel, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 8, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Why not? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. It was just like, that was just the natural thing to do. I'm now a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be baptized. It's just like these folks in Rome. That's all they had. When I pastored, one of the churches I pastored, there was this guy, a notorious sinner, I don't know how else to describe him. He would have described himself that way. Everyone in the town knew that he was a drunkard. He had, you know, run around, did all sorts of terrible, terrible, terrible things. Notorious sinner. And he came to Christ. He's dying of cancer. And I found out, went to his house, led him to the Lord. And this guy hadn't been in church, no, no joke. I, I don't know if he'd been in church five times in his entire life. And he was, he was miraculously saved. And, and he said, listen, I need to be baptized. I don't know where he even thought about that or heard about that, but I need to be baptized. And I said, well, great, let's, let's baptize. He goes, well, here's the problem. And he was, he was dying of cancer. He was, he was bedridden. He said, I'm bedridden. I, 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 I don't know how I, I could never get into a tank to be baptized. I said, no problem. We'll bring water to you. We can bring the water to you. You know, we believe it's not the amount of water, it's the amount of grace. So I'll just splash some water on you. Everything will be great. He goes, no, 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 that won't work. I said, why won't that work? He said, because I want my family to be in church before my funeral. 
And he said, so we got to do it. We got to do it in church. And, and I said, well, okay. He goes, well, I got another problem. I said, what's, <laughs> what's your other problem? He said, my family won't come to church on a Sunday. He goes, there's no way. They haven't been in church. They, they know people in church. They won't come to church on a Sunday. They won't come. I said, well, that's not a problem. I said, we'll do it on a Saturday. He said, great. So that's what's the plan. We were going to do, I said, I don't know. I don't even know. He said, I said, I don't know if you can even get out of bed. If you can get out of bed and get in a wheelchair and get to the church and come into the church on Saturday, we'll do it. He said, that'll be, he said, I don't care how I'm going to do it. So the Saturday came and this guy invited his whole family who all knew that he was a notorious sinner. And there was like 40, 50 people. He, he, he was all hooked up. He was still hooked up to his IV, and they, they brought him in to the church, went down front. He could barely talk. He's dying. He didn't live much longer after this. His name was Dallas. I said, Dallas, do you want to say a few words? And he said, I sure do. And it's just a whisper. And this guy who'd only been in church four or five times in his entire life, he looked at his family and whispered to him and said, listen, you all know what a terrible person I've been. I've been a terrible husband. I've been a terrible dad. Everyone in this town knows how terrible I've been. He said, I haven't done one good thing in my entire life. And I accepted Jesus, and he came into my life, and I, and, and I am totally changed. I'm not the same man that you used to know. Jesus has made a difference in my life, and that's why I'm here. And he said, he said you all know I'm dying. I don't have much more life on this planet. He goes, I know I'm dying, and I, and I waited too long. He goes, you don't know when you're going to die. He goes, you may drive out of here and get hit by a bus. You need Jesus. Dallas preached a better sermon than I've ever preached in my entire life. I mean, it was a gospel message. This guy who'd only been in church a handful of times preached the gospel. Why? He had encountered Jesus Christ. That made all the difference. That's what's going on in Romans. They hadn't read the Bible. They hadn't read John 3.16. John 3.16 hadn't been written yet. They couldn't sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace wouldn't be written for 1,700 years. But they had had a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ. And Paul is equating that experience, that baptism, when, when they decided to follow Jesus with, with what's going on now. Hello, airplane. I love outdoor services. It gives me time to find my place in the Bible. When we were in Jordan, we um, met a lady named Miriam. This has probably been 10 years ago. And Miriam uh, taught at the Christian school. She had many Christian friends. She uh, attended Christian services. But her family still believed she was a Muslim because she was never baptized. Because Marion knew as soon as she was baptized, she was stepping over the line. She was telling her family that she's a follower of Jesus. It was a really, really big deal. She knew that when she was baptized, her family would disown her. They would never invite her to, you know, Fourth of July gatherings. They don't have Fourth of July gatherings in Jordan. But they would never invite her to family gatherings. They would never, you know, in fact, they may harm her. It was a really, really big deal for Miriam to finally say, yes, I want to be baptized because I want to be a follower of Jesus. That's what these people did. They realized that their old life was behind them and their new life was ahead. Paul, in this, in this passage in Romans 6, he talks about it as in death and living. And in chapter 6, well, let's read it. 
chapter 6. He says, what then shall I say then? Shall we continue to living that grace may abound? Mega noita! Are you kidding me? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were buried therefore by, with him by baptism into death. In, flip the page, in the wind, and order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. He's saying we were dead and now we are alive and now we are in Christ. And he continues on with that death type of language saying, listen, what needs to happen is saying no to those things that dragged us down and yes to Jesus. And the more you say yes to Jesus, the more you are alive in Christ. The more you turn your back on those, those sinful practices and allow Jesus to help you, to help you to live that glorious life that he longs for, to put to death to those things from before, the more you experience his life. We'll read on, verse eight, or verse five. If you're a circler, if you have your journal, you can circle the dead words that he uses and underline the living words that he uses. He says this, for if we've been united with him in death, circle death, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection, or underline resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified, circle crucified, with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. We just sang about that. I am no longer a slave to sin. For he who has died, circle died, has been set free from sin. That's, we're talking about independence today. You can be set free from sin. Verse 8. For now we have died, circle died with Christ. We believe that we will also live, underline live with him. We know that Christ who was raised, underline raised from the dead, circle dead. We will never die, circle die again. Death, circle death, no longer has dominion over him. For the death, circle death, he died, circle died, he died, circle died for sin once and for all but the life underline life he lives underline lives so you might be considered yourself dead circle dead to be alive in God in Christ Jesus we don't have to be dead my brothers and sisters we can be alive real life glorious life Jesus living in us experiencing all the things he talked about in Romans 5 hope glory even in sufferings we can rejoice not because of us because jesus living in us we have hope he goes on the rest of the chapter to talk about how we can be um the word the english standard version uses in here is present ourselves it's a word paul uses a lot in the book of romans he uses it in one of my favorite verses in romans 12 where he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present yourself. Present. He uses it a lot throughout the rest of chapter 6. But really that word, I like it better um, to be translated. It's, it's present yourself, to give yourself, to offer yourself, or here's the, the translation I like, to yield yourself. When I'm driving, which people don't like to drive with me, but when they are in the car with me and I come to a yield sign, generally that means, generally, that I give way to the car that's coming down the road, right? That's what a yield sign is supposed to mean. And usually I pay attention to that. And, and so if I come to a road and there's a yield sign, I yield. So that person has the right of way. Here Paul is saying, present yourself, yield yourself to Jesus Christ. 
Verse 12, let not sin reign therefore in your mortal body to make you obey his possessions. Do not present, do not yield your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself, yield yourself to God who has been brought from the dead and life and members of him as instruments for his righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Praise the Lord. And then he asks the stupid question again. What then? Are we to sin because we are under law but grace? Mega noita! Are you kidding me? But do you not know that if you present yourselves, yield yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, rather either to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, saying yes, yes, yes to the Lord, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, for you were once slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves, we just sang but have become obedient to the heart and the standard and the teaching of which, flip the page, you were committed. And having been set free from sin, praise the Lord, have become slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the natural limitations, but just as you were once present your members, yielded yourself to slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading note to more lawlessness, snow now present, yield yourself as members of slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When we are in Christ, we can be free from sin. That's what Paul's saying. That we no longer have to be chained to our past, chained to that garbage, chained to the stuff. We ha can have freedom. All that past, the sin, what does it lead to? It leads to death. He ends this chapter by saying, for the wages of sin is death. Death will kill your hopes. Kill, or sin will kill your hopes, kill your dreams, kill your, your aspirations, kill your relationships, kill everything good. But the free gift of God is eternal life. When we yield ourselves over to Jesus, we can have eternal life. You know, today, it's the 4th of July, it's Independence Day, and we celebrate the birthday of America and are thankful, thankful, thankful that we do live in a land that's free for sure. You know, on July 4th is actually not the day they signed the Declaration of Independence, but the day that the uh, Congress approved the signatures on the Declaration of Independence. And as you may know, there were 54 signers on the Declaration of Independence. They, they were writing that, saying we are no longer a part of the British Kingdom. We, we are separate from them. We are our own country. We are declaring our independence. The, the British, of course, viewed the, the, the signers of that as traitors. Four of them were, were captured during uh, World War, or World War II. No, they weren't captured during World War II. <laughs> The Germans captured them, and it was terrible. No, no, no. Four were captured by the British. Uh, five were killed during the Revolutionary War. Twelve had their houses sacked. Four of them had sons that were killed. I think four. Let me get my numbers straight. Let me get my numbers straight. Let me get my numbers straight. Nine were fought and died. Four lost sons. Twelve had their, their homes sacked. Many of them died bankrupt. It cost them a lot to sign their name to say we are independent from British rule. Today, what I'm saying is we yield to Christ, not that we sign our independence. In fact, just the opposite. We sign on to our dependence upon Jesus. It's saying we can no longer handle ourselves and our situations on our own. We need Jesus. Jesus is the one that breaks the chains. Jesus is the one that frees us from that, the, the, those sins that have bound us. Jesus is the one that, that sets us free and gives us hope from our self-centeredness, our, our own destructive life patterns. Jesus is the way. 
That's what Paul is saying here. Look back on your baptism. It's saying, I am no longer, I have put my past behind me and I'm moving forward with Jesus, not on my strength, on his. And because of that, I can rejoice and have hope and even in my sufferings because I know that Jesus will make a way.